0: Yeah, so welcome on a snowy, blowy, beautiful, beautiful night in northern Michigan, right? Good to be with you here. I'm going to move just a little bit closer. Those are my notes. <laughs> Short. <laughs> we, had, we had a little printer problem uh, earlier today, so this is the first time I'm using an electronic notepad to, to breach. Go with the flow, right? First time. right? alright so tonight we are uh, we are actually looking at a Luke 6 passage I'm not sure how that um, got uh, misprinted whether I, I sent the wrong information or what but we're not in revelation tonight we're Luke 6 27 to 36 <clears throat> so this is a um, a passage uh, from the beatitudes so, Jesus is just wrapping up his 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 uh, Sermon on the Mount, and uh, <clears throat> and it's a I, I'm not sure exactly why but God's had me on a track lately of um, researching and studying and how exactly am I supposed to love my neighbor? <clears throat> um, yeah, because yeah, some neighbors don't want to be loved and, and um, others um, yeah, are, are very lovable. <clears throat> so Uh, this is a passage called Love for Enemies Love Your Enemies so let's just uh, go to prayer for a minute and then we'll read this Father we we are here to worship, we are here to praise we are here to to read your word to study and learn and hear your voice so use me as your mouthpiece to um, yeah just share what what your word says here Uh, we love you Lord and we know that you Always have our best interests in mind. Uh, So, as we read, uh, we just give our hearts to you. Thank you, Lord. 27 through 36. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If somebody strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If somebody takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. We read that this morning. That was in our message this morning. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the most high, because he is kind to the ungrateful, and wicked, be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. <coughs> <coughs> All right. So the, the title of the message here is um, Mercy Freedom, right? How does God's mercy to us and our mercy to others set us free? <coughs> um, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of freedom. There's financial freedom, you know, having enough money and resources and not have to worry about your next meal or possibility of a shut-off notice or an eviction notice. And you can tell I spent 21 years at Friends Ministry because those were part of my regular everyday life. People with needs and concerns who didn't have financial freedom. They were struggling. But when we have it, it reduces our stress and increases our comfort. Political freedom, right? Being able to vote for the candidate who best represents your values. The privilege to speak up, speak out in favor or dissent of something that you believe in without being condemned for it. And that's a freedom that we have here in this nation. It's uh, getting a little edgy at this point, but it's a freedom. And then there's personal freedom, right? To make choices about where you live and the work you're going to do and and the experiences you're going to have in life. Um, Yeah, those are all part of freedom. But tonight we're going to talk about mercy freedom. This is the freedom that comes from letting go of our right to get even when we are wronged. Yeah. It's a freedom of forgiveness that we received from Christ when we repented and came to him. It was mercy that set us free from sin and death and eternal suffering. And it is mercy that lets us love our enemy. So when you think about an enemy, who comes to mind? You don't have to tell me. (laughs) Not not looking for a a, a chorus here. Um, Our passage today says that enemies are people who hate you, curse you, and mistreat you. But they can also be someone that you just really disagree with. Somebody who is your political or religious opposite. Sometimes I think that I'm my own enemy, <coughs> just because of the way I think. But sometimes I think we just get tired of somebody else's behavior and we call them our enemy. You know, uh, one of our children used to amuse himself by making noises in the car whenever we took a trip. he would sit in the back seat and he uh, would imagine that there are two superhero forces and he would make weapon sounds and that would go on and on and he was my enemy to love (laughs) during those trips enemies they, they come in a lot of different packages but if they cause us to carry resentments then we've given them control over us. If you and I still harbor ill feelings towards someone who well, just can't seem to let go of the influence or power that they had over us in the past or the present, then we're robbing ourselves of mercy freedom. Romans 5.10 brings us face to face with seeing ourselves as once being God's enemy. It's kind of the groundwork, right? Right? When we can see ourselves as God's enemy, we get a lot better picture of his mercy. For if when we were God's enemies, it says, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? The implication here is that you and I were once God's enemies. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. Seeing ourselves there makes us a bit more sensitive to the power of mercy. This passage begins with a call to listeners, right, he says, for I tell you who hear me, those who are listening to me. Jesus had just finished the Beatitudes and
1: uh, he had offered a series of woes
0: to those who thought that they had it all together, the, the Pharisees and what not. And, uh, And now he speaks clearly to his followers, his listeners. We have to assume that this is a smaller group than the big crowd that was on the hill, but we don't know how small. The message he gave them in the passage is extremely countercultural, even to our time. Listen to what he said. He said, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to do good to those who hate you. I want you to bless those who curse you. I want you to treat them like you want to be treated, and I want you to pray for them. Pray for those who mistreat you, who do you wrong. Those are strong words, very countercultural. It, it makes me remember that, um, that verse in Jeremiah 20, uh, 26 7. Jerusalem had just been defeated by the Babylonians. The Israelites were now slaves. And in total defeat, loss, death, all around them, they're displaced and shackled, the prophet Jeremiah says, whoa, 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 listen, before you leave, before you go into captivity, God's not done with you yet. He wants you to settle down. You're going to be there for 70 years in exile. Plant vineyards, marry, have children, increase in number, And then, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have called you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. These are some hard words for for us. If... If we're being taken into exile, if we're becoming slaves, if everything that we know has been crushed, we are supposed to pray for our captors, that they will prosper, that they will do well. Because if they do well, we too will do well. We're not condemning them. We're praying for them. Now, if you didn't have a set of spiritual ears that day, none of this would make any sense to you, right? I mean, I'm sure there were a few people who, <clears throat> who got some new ears that day, but if you didn't have that, if you weren't tuned in to Jesus, you would you'd walk away saying, who is this guy? But those who got it, something awakened in them, and they started to see the world through Jesus' eyes. He'd been calling the people to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, and Through that repentance, they felt forgiveness and the mercy of God. That mercy began to transform their heart, mind, and soul. These listeners would never be the same because Jesus called his followers to a new standard. He made his listeners aware that even sinners love and do good to people who love and do good to them, but Jesus wanted more. He tells them that even sinners lend to people who can repay their debt, but his followers were to lend without expecting any payment in return. He caps off his message to his followers by telling them that because they were sons and daughters of the Most High, they were to be kind and merciful to the ungrateful and the wicked. They were to be kind and merciful simply because God is, simply because our Father is. I don't know about you, but if I had been there, I think the question on their minds might have been, why would God even want to be kind to the ungrateful and the wicked? Why would he want to show mercy to a bunch of people like that? The simple answer is that when people experience mercy, it makes us grateful. Mercy brings gratitude into our hearts. I've experienced that in my life before when I was all upset at somebody and they killed me with kindness, (laughs) And it took my steam away. (laughs) Gratitude had to fill a space that I didn't even want to be filled. You know, St. Augustine writes about the path that we take to get a grateful heart. (laughs) He, um, He starts with what he calls the inward dive. Now, the inward dive... It's a place before faith in Christ, before, before we know Christ as Savior and Lord. It's a place where we all try to be our own God until we finally realize that we can't. <coughs> he says that you, you got to take this dive. you got to try to be God and then find out that you fail at it before you finally accept that there is a God who loves you. All right? So, <coughs> in his words, <coughs> he says... The inward dive leads outward toward an awareness of external truth and God, right? What he's saying is that the truth isn't inside, it's outside. God has the truth. That leads to humility as one feels small in contrast to the Almighty, That leads to a posture of surrender, self-emptying, as one makes space for God. That opens the way for you to receive God's grace. The gift arouses an immense sense of gratitude, a desire to love back, to give back, to delight. And that awakens vast energies. This progression, this set of steps, right? God's Mercy, distributed through us to others, serves to work its way through our resistance until we become grateful. (laughs) It's part of sanctification, right? It's part of becoming more holy. It's part of becoming more Christ-like. He just loves us enough to keep working away. So what does it look like? What does mercy look like today? How do we do it? I, um, I like this poem from Mother Teresa. You probably have heard it before, it's kind of famous. When she died, they found this on a, a sign on the wall in, the, in her children's home of, in Calcutta. <clears throat> and um, th- the message was actually written, most of it was written in 1968 by a Harvard student Harvard University student. He was just 19 years old and he was asked to write a paper. So he wrote this and he called it The Paradoxical Commandments. His name was Kent Keith. Well, Mother Teresa loved it and she used it in a poem called Anyway. And I'm going to share that with you here. People are unreasonable, illogical, and self centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish, I'll tell you your motives. Do good anyway. If you're successful, you're going to win false friends and true enemies, but succeed anyway. <laughs> the good you do will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. <laughs> what you've spent years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. People really need help, but may attack you if you help them. Help them anyway. Give the world the best you have, and you're going to get kicked in the teeth. Give the world the best you have anyway. Not because we choose it, but because God does. And we're his kids. (laughs) Mother Teresa found mercy, freedom in this poem because, when the world says protect your life and get even, the paradoxical commandments say that Jesus will protect you, and Jesus will handle justice. Whenever we feel justified. In making another person pay for some wrong that they've done, we enter into their personal prison with them. We make their problem our problem. The idea here is to insulate but not isolate. Instead of avoiding the people who offend us and irritate us, we intentionally engage them in our lives knowing that God's mercy is flowing through us to them. We don't really expect them to change from ungrateful to grateful, because only Jesus can change a heart. But Jesus can also love our enemy through us. Randy Alcorn uh, wrote a little book on grace, and he says, there's only one requirement for enjoying God's grace, being broke and knowing it. (laughs) Right? I'm broke, and I know it. Now I'm ready for grace. This is why the Apostle Paul called himself the chief of sinners. Paul understood that we're not simply good people who made a few mistakes, we're sinners. We're going to hell without the mercy of Jesus. But once mercy seeps into our hearts, we are free, free to love our enemies. Now, I don't want you to think that there's no room for justice. The Lord's not telling us to tolerate sin and just look the other way. Mercy is not tolerance. It's forgiveness for real hurts and real wrongs that have been done to us. Mercy is the hard work of letting go of anger and resentments that can poison us if we hold on to them. I've heard it said that mercy and justice kiss in Christ. They come together in grace and truth. If we can see our enemy as our equal, an equal sinner that Christ died for, we can receive the mercy that we need for our healing and we can share it. <clears throat> There's a, a story that, um, that I want to share here, um, yeah, that really kind of brings home this whole idea of, of mercy. Um, <clears throat> this was on a uh, Philip Yancey video that I saw a few years ago. It was an interview with Tony Compolo, and um, t- Tony was telling of um, a time, a story. Uh, uh, it was in World War II, right at the end of World War II. The scene is in Russia. Uh, the Nazis had uh, just been defeated after killing millions of Russians. And in one Russian city, the Nazi prisoners... Uh, prisoners of war were being marched through the streets as they were being transported to some kind of a prison or a holding camp. And um, the Russian people, who had lost so much during the war, had all lined up on the streets to watch this procession of soldiers that were being, prisoners that were being marched down. Um, The tension was palpable. The soldiers guarding the enemy had to wonder if they could control the crowd. As Tony tells the story, the Nazi officers came first in line, and they were followed by the enlisted men. The officers walked proud and smug, even in their defeat, heads high, no humility, no sorrow, no repentance. And then came the regular Nazi soldiers, tired, worn, wounded, emaciated from hunger, These were still the enemy, but the crowd who had been hating them and jeering them, they also saw them as people who had suffered and were still suffering. Then something amazing happened. One woman in that Russian crowd of onlookers, she heard the voice of Christ and found mercy freedom. She slipped past the guards and offered one of the hungry Nazi soldiers a loaf of bread. That was an act of grace. An incredible act of mercy in the midst of all of that anger. She showed love. When that happened, mercy swept over the crowd and many of them ministered to the needs of their enemy. This is a picture of what happens to a heart filled with mercy. Mercy and justice kissed that day in Russia. Those Nazi soldiers, they're still, they would still be tried and punished, but they tasted the love and the mercy of Christ. Yeah. And those people, the Russians who were ministering to them, they expected nothing in return. <clears throat> When we only love the people that love us back, we look just like the rest of the world. (laughs) But when we love the people who don't or won't or can't love us back, we look like paradoxical Christ followers. We look odd. We look different. And we should. So how paradoxical do you and I want to be this week? Is there an enemy that we need to pray for? In a paradox, up is down, dark is light, prayer is might, and mercy is freedom. Whatever reasons we might have to feel justified for condemning our neighbor, love them anyway. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for you and me. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word, even the most challenging and difficult parts of your word. We just come before your throne of grace tonight. We come as sinners who don't deserve your love, but we thank you, Lord, that you love us anyway. We thank you for this gift of mercy. Because it it brings thankfulness and gratitude to us, and we are free. What's more, we dare to ask for more, Lord. Fill us with mercy overflowing so that even our enemies are touched by your love. Amen. Let's stand and sing number
1: 506, 1, 2, and 4. Amen. Mm-hmm.